Welcome to the Our Safe Harbor Church podcast. Here you can listen to our Sunday sermon, Monday morning message, and midweek Bible study. We hope you will consider subscribing, sharing, leaving a review, but please be sure to check out our website at www.OurSafeHarbor.com to learn more about us and find ways to get involved. Our Safe Harbor Church, we are with you wherever you are. Good Monday morning. We do a lot of Monday morning messages and some of them are controversial and some of them are meant to kick over the garbage cans in a house and make us reevaluate where we're putting things and what doctrines to hold on to, um, which ones we should let loose and which ones we should run away from. And I have received all sorts of mail. Um, the majority is upbeat and thankful and it has helped grow the message of Christ through our safe harbor. But there are others, and this is going to be one of them, which I do hesitate to approach because you're really approaching somebody's enter holy of holies. You are approaching a shibboleth, if you know your Old Testament. These things that cannot be said, for if you say these things, then people dismiss your faith. They, they say, well, then you don't believe in God and you don't believe in the Bible and you don't, and I, it's an absolute wall there. Sometimes whenever I do a Monday morning message, in, in fact, for, recently I did one on the difference between just a declaration, a statement, an assertion, and an argument and showing how you can make assertions, but they don't establish any truth at all. And some of the comments I got that day and one was so persistent and not getting the point that I eventually had to block that commenter. But it was just, no, this is it, this is it, this is it. And I would say, well, that's interesting set of assertions. Where's your argument? How can you convince us that what you are saying is correct? And they'd come back with a series of assertions. I get that. You know, I probably would have done the same thing uh, years and years ago. And somebody sent me, and here we go, you ready? They sent me a, a thing that was sent to them, posted on Facebook by their preacher and, and the like, and I just cut it out. And you've seen things like this before. Uh, it has many citations of scripture, and it says, this is the plan of salvation. This is, at, at the very end, the gospel you must obey. Now, I grew up, with that sort of literature being in our church building, in a little rack as you walked in the door, there would be these brochures uh, called tracks uh, usually, uh, and they, you'd pull them off and it'd be everything about the sin of dancing to the sin of using instrumental music to the sin of using modern versions to how to organize the church. And it would be full of scripture citations after every point. And you might be thinking, well, good then, they backed it up. Not really. You see, that's a problem. I can remember uh, being given and told to read, and there would be many tests over it by my father, uh, Milligan's book, The Scheme of Redemption, still available out of copyright a long time ago. Uh, and okay, I get it. And, it and, and it was a lovely story. And as a boy, it made all the sense in the world to me. As a young man, it made all the sense in the world to me because I wasn't allowed to ask questions. 
and had I started asking questions, I think it would have fallen apart a lot sooner than it did in my head. But we had these uh, film strips that we would go. I don't even know how to describe to those of you who are outside the religious world or my particular small piece of that pie what film strips were like, but they were basically, you would just change the pictures on a little film and you would put the project the images on the wall. And they brought a lot of people to Christ and to faith. And so I'm not making fun of them at all, at all. But one of the things they would do then is they would put up the plan of salvation. What is the plan of salvation? Other versions of it exist. It's hard to stop at rest areas as you drive across this great nation of the United States without somebody leaving one of these brochures, these tracks. Um, and I know some of you say brochure, like your French, but in brochure. Um, with, uh, are you really upset? Are you really sad? Then say the sinner's prayer. Well, I am one of the first to say that sinner's prayer is not found in scripture. And there's nowhere in scripture that we're told to pray that prayer and that that will save us. But am I furious that somebody might read that and think I need to talk to God? Not at all, not at all. I hope that they would go further and look deeper. But see, there's our problem. Salvation and redemption are far simpler than we've ever imagined. And they are also very complex and they're ongoing. Salvation and redemption, they're kind of an event, but they're also a process. It's an ongoing process. So whenever you look at something like this, it says, for example, um, God has a plan to save man if he truly wants to be saved. All right, so that puts all the burden on you now because God's already got this. He's already, he's now he has delivered the plan, but it's up to you to want to be saved. Okay, what's the plan? Well, the first thing they put is men must hear the saving gospel message. That's uh, out of the book of Romans. They put several citations there. Book of Romans was written around 55 AD. None of these dates I wanna give you are solid. They always move with the, um, the scholarship, but we're ballparking this, all right? So about 55 AD. The common person didn't own a book of Romans and for about another 17, 1800 years. But they could hear it read, and in some churches, it would be read in their language. But generally speaking, nobody had the Book of Romans except for the clergy, and they kept it pretty safe because books were extremely rare and expensive, uh, and so they would read bits to you. Well, what if they never read that bit to you for 300, 400, 500 years, 1500 years? You had no access to this. And that's only the first step. The first step, the second step, you have to believe in Jesus Christ. By the way, I'm a big fan of believing in Jesus Christ. I have given my entire life over to believing in Jesus Christ. But to see it put here and then the citations out of the book of John, and John is in the late 80s, maybe early 90s. Then um, Mark, well, Mark was, who knows, but Mark is usually placed at around 58 AD. So now we have books written, three different books so far, in different decades, uh, or close to, and books you don't have. But you need to have these citations to know which one to do first. What if you get this out of order? 
And if you're thinking I'm being silly here, no. No, because I know the churches that put out, the denomination that put out this. I know them very well. And if you were to be baptized before you repented, they would say the baptism didn't work. You have to go back because repentance is supposed to come before. But wait, you didn't confess your faith in Christ before you repented? Oh boy, everything has to be done in order. And yet it's never, ever listed like this in scripture. People like that put these out are honest, good, loving people, and they're saved. But what they don't understand is by doing this, they are trying to, um, to create another, how can I put this? They're making up for a lack of scripture because scripture never laid it out like this. Let's let, we'll lay it out for you like this. As if scripture has a fault in it and it needs to be more organized. Even if it's from different books written by different people in different decades, in different cities, some of whom will have never met each other. For example, John undoubtedly never met Paul as far as we can tell, unless maybe at Acts 15. Doesn't seem to be a lot of interaction there. How about then? They must confess to their sins, and that's out of Luke, okay? Luke were, uh, Luke and Acts, they, they cite both of those, and Luke wrote both of them, according to most scholars. I have no reason to doubt that about 60 to 61 AD. So, okay, we'll ballpark there. And then they have to confess their faith in Christ. Well, that comes, they, they list on here. From Matthew, that's somewhere in the 60s. And again, Romans, which is somewhere around 55 AD. I was um, a little surprised that they didn't go to the book of Acts, to the story of the Ethiopian eunuch, but that's only because I grew up in that particular tribe. And they loved that passage until we found older manuscripts did not have the confession of the Ethiopian eunuch in them. That was a late edition. And so very, very quietly, that was shelved. Um, then men must be baptized, immersed for the forgiveness of their sins. Now that phrase is found. Uh, it is found with John's baptism, John the Baptist's baptism, but it's also found in Acts chapter two and verse 38. And I believe it, and I think it's a great, great thing there. But again, Acts, Romans, and First Peter is where they go to to get all of this. 61, written in 61, 55, and 63, or thereabouts. Different people, different places, different times. And then it says, we must live faithfully until death. And that is a theme in the book of Revelation, but the book of Revelation wasn't written until about 90. So a long time later, what happened to all those people that had the rest of it, but not that part. And also the Gospel of John and Second John are cited here. And those were written in at least the late 80s, if not the early 90s. And then it says, is that how your Bible reads? Have you obeyed the Gospel of Jesus Christ? This isn't how anybody's Bible reads you supposed that the Bible had a deficiency. And so you grabbed books that were written in different orders in different places by different people, grabbed verses and made them far easier to understand synopsis. A, a cliff notes, but not of the theme of scripture, but rather of a transactional analysis. 
You see, no longer is walking with Christ a, a daily dance, a struggle, a, a, a blessing. No, now it's a transaction. You come by, because I know these, these papers, I know them very well. You have to go to church every Sunday morning, Sunday night and Wednesday night, or you would be, um, you would be you know, forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Again, a book that wasn't written for a long time after the death of Jesus. And it wasn't talking about going to church on Wednesday, but they make it that way. And then you have to do the five acts of worship. Five acts of worship? Yeah. What do they do? The same thing they do with that paper I keep holding up. They go back and forth to different verses, different books, and ram it together because the fact is the New Testament does not contain a description of a worship service that looks anything like their five acts of worship. Ever. Not even close. And yet, that's required. And then, if you want to obey the gospel, and we will revisit that phrase, you have to do this, these things in order. Hear the saving gospel message. That means it's got to be the message that this particular group gives you. Believe in Jesus Christ, big fan. Repent of your sins, yep, and that's not a one-time thing. Uh, I'm finding the older I get, I still have sins, and I may not have as many, but that may just because I don't have the energy to do the sin. How's that? I, I still need a savior. So repentance, yeah, sure, got it. Then confess faith in Christ. That's actually a really good thing, and it's all through scripture that we are to speak for Christ because he speaks for us. Big fan of that. Men, and you, it keeps saying men, 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 men. Men must, I don't know, ladies, I guess you're off the hook. Um, must be baptized, immersed for the forgiveness of your sins. Now here, here's where I have to pull back and say, absolutely, but I am a huge proponent of baptism. Our safe harbor has already proven that. When people have written in saying they want to be baptized and yet they don't know where to go, we either find someone near them or we go to them and we, we take care of it. We are huge fans of baptism because baptism declares your allegiance to your new rabbi. That's what baptism did back then. That's what they understood it to mean. But it also was a cleansing of sins. And so people would walk through the baptistry because you would walk down into this and walk out and you would go under a bar so you had to go all the way under. It was later that people baptized other people. But for a very long time, part of Jewish ritual was when you went to worship, you cleansed yourself of sins. There is even the sea of brass, as it's, as it's called, a large bathing, uh, I don't want to call it a pan, a bowl, uh, a tub, whatever it was, that the priest had to, ritualistically, every time that they did in the office, they were baptized. And so baptism, that we make this thing as if, all right, this is the one thing. No, it's part of a many things. And repentance is part of it. But he says, for the remission of your sins. I believe the baptism washes away sins. I believe that that's taught, uh, it's, well, really throughout the New Testament. And that's why I'm a big proponent of it. One of the reasons why. And, and if that were the only reason, that would be enough. But it's startling how many times 
we make it a law that somebody says for the remission of your sins. I've even been pulled aside by an elder at a place where after I did a baptism, where he said, you, you baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but you didn't say for the remission of your sins. And I said, no, I didn't. And he said, well, then is that baptism valid? Um, yeah. There was never a thing that you were supposed to say. And if you don't say it, then God's not going to save you. That's not the way God works. And if he, if he did, if that were truly an issue with God, he would have said so. He would have put this easily understandable diagram in one place and made sure it was the first book out so that everybody could get this in their head. But he didn't. And to obey the gospel, what's the gospel mean? Gospel means good news. How do you obey good news? Don't you just receive and believe good news? I think what they mean is that there are some directions, you might call them commandments in scripture, that we see people doing, the early church doing, and these traditions, these rules, these commandments, however you want to voice them, they became very, very important identifying markers of early believers. And I believe that they are super, super valuable to us as well. But the very tribe that these, this paper came from, uh, and again, full of incredibly wonderful people, there is no disrespect being shown here. And if you're getting it, I'm sorry, because that's not what I'm serving. What I'm asking us is to do a little wake up call here. You see, you see, God is bigger than our little plans. God cannot be distilled into a half sheet of paper and a Facebook post. It's bigger than this. We have a lot of work to do. God has saved us. Our work is to become more like Christ. In fact, Jesus said, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbors yourself. Upon this hangs all of the law and prophets. I don't think Jesus got that wrong. Well, does that mean I ignore traditions and other ways of, um, of showing my faith? No, not at all. I want to be all in. And I imagine many of you do as well but we don't want him to do the sin of Aaron. Whenever Moses went up the mountain, God was still a stranger to the Israelites that were at the base of the mountain. They just come out of captivity. This is all still very new to them. There, was, there are a lot of frightening things and then Moses stayed up there a long time and they figured he was dead, but they're not going up there because the mountain had been shaking and cloud and thunder and they're not going up. So Aaron made them a golden calf and they fell, they fell down and worshiped it. Now, not because they worshiped cows, but because this was a symbol of the God that brought them out of Egypt. Because cattle were life. Cattle were a future. Cattle were ways to, um, um, oh, to survive and to know that your family was going to survive. It was an easily understandable way to look at God. We, um, we still do golden calves.
trying to say, all right, there's a deficiency in scripture. What we have to do is grab the verses and organize them in the right order for you, even though they were written in different order, uh, the books. We gotta get them out and we gotta figure out the scheme of redemption so that if you do everything right, then you'll be saved, but only, in fact, it says, God has a plan, one plan to save man. Have you obeyed this? And yet, as I close, I want to, because we're going to talk about this more next week. How many people are going to do this? And let's ignore the fact that nobody can live faithfully unto death, even though that's written here. And yes, that phrase is found in Revelation, but it doesn't mean what these, this means here. It just means you keep trying to follow Jesus. You're in pursuit of Jesus. Well, I know I'm not faithful every day. How about you? So I, anyway, what are the percentage of people that have ever lived that have figured this out or had someone hand it to them and they've done it? 0.001%? Take a look, do the math, run the numbers. Would God have created the universe sent the prophets, sent the priests and kings, and then Jesus born in, Naz in Bethlehem, Jesus of Nazareth, born in Bethlehem, teaches us, dies on a cross, raised on the third day, ascends up into heaven for the least efficient salvation plan ever. Is that what we think God did? Or is salvation bigger than that? And is our relationship with God not distillable into a list of do these things and don't do these others? We've got some work to do and it's gonna be hard. If you have questions, concerns, email me at patrick at rsafeharbor.com and email me, same address. If you'd like to be baptized, it's important. We'll talk more about why, all right? This has been a long one. Sorry for that. Have a great rest of your day.